Hey, we're in this series called Investigating Jesus. Today we're going to be in John 14. If you want to turn there, we're really going to look at one verse, mostly just one verse. So John 14 is where we're going to be. Have you ever seen those ads that say you, it's a must-have? Like it's a must-have app for your phone or it's a must-have piece of clothing or whatever. Well, I found, guys, some must-have gifts for your wives for Mother's Day. You're welcome. Okay, all right. It's going to give you some heads up. Now, that's not for a couple weeks. Let's see, one, two, three weeks from now. So you have three weeks, but you might need to order some of this. So I just want you to know, must-haves for, for wives. This is a little thing that you put on your dishwasher that says clean or dirty. Oh, okay, that didn't overwhelm you. Okay, all right. This one's great. That's the snap-and-go pasta strainer. You know how hard that is because half of it ends up in the sink. Uh, oh, this is really good. Uh, this is the sneaker dryer bag. Brilliant. They're not clunking around. Now, this next one, the other three weren't even serious. This one, this, this one you can combine with a gift card, and it will be awesome. It is the uh, dipping sauce holder. So you combine that with a McDonald's gift card. And you are golden right there. All right, so must-haves. Uh, there are must-haves like employers have must-haves. And so you'd have to, like if you're applying for a job, they'll say you have to have a certain uh, degree of education or this much experience, that kind of thing. Um, graduates are thinking about jobs. They're like, I need this and this and this. Usually graduates are just hopeful, hoping to get a job. But uh, if you've been in work a while, you, you have must-haves. In the dating world, guys have must-haves for uh, the, the girls they're going to date. Girls have a must-haves or have must-haves for the guys they're going to date. That's just kind of how it works. And so in our relationship with Jesus, there is this, the, this must-have uh, in, in order to get to heaven. This is a really kind of a, a little bit of a, it's a little bit heavy sermon uh, so just so you know, I'm going to give you the heads up. It's a little, a little uh, heavier than normal. Um, so Jesus makes statements, and we are in this series where we're investigating the statements that Jesus made. Now today we're going to study this theory, this theology called Solus Christus. That's Latin for only Christ. And it comes from, the idea comes from a verse where Jesus says this. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It is a very, um, it's a very exclusivist verse. Jesus isn't giving a lot of there to get to heaven. I mean, it's it's this way. I am the way, the truth, the life. I am a portion of a way. I am the way. And so Jesus makes this very exclusive statement, and the early church believed it. So you have a guy named Peter. He is healing people. You study the book of Acts, and there's this healing that goes on. And he heals this cat, and they call Peter in, and they said, How did it work? How did it happen? And he said, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. So Christianity sometimes comes across as narrow-minded, bigoted. 
Uh, we are perceived as, uh, these, these are very bold statements because Jesus said, I am the only way to heaven. And there are a lot of people, here's why we don't like that very much, or some people don't like it, because if Jesus meant that, that means a lot of people are doing the wrong things in order to get to heaven. That's a lot of wrongness. There are billions of people doing it differently than the, this, and it just doesn't seem sort of fair. Now, the belief system that's most common in the world, I would say, is probably, maybe even in this room there are folks who adhere to this, is called the good people go to heaven theory. So we're going to talk about that. The good people go to heaven. When I have conversations with people, sometimes I'll say, well, now, if you were to to die tonight, how do you, do you know where you would spend eternity? Would you, do you know you'd go to heaven? And they say something like, I hope so. Well, eternity isn't really something we want to hope about. Uh, th- th- it reminds me of when I was in high school and I would be heading off for school and my mom would say, are you ready for the test? And my answer would be, I hope so. That wasn't, uh, that wasn't false humility. That was, I didn't study, and I hope so. And so when you're a kid, what you're hoping for is that the teacher gets sick, you know, doesn't show up. I hope so. I hope I can guess enough. So I hope so isn't a very good answer to, do you know you'd go to heaven? And then you say, okay, well, why do you think you would? And the, um, the most common answer is, well, I'm a good person. And good people go to heaven. That's kind of the notion around it. Now, we're, we're talking about this not because it's a pleasant topic, but because it is an inevitable topic. And do you know 21% of Americans, only 21% have prepared like for their, their funeral? Well, we're all going to be involved in a funeral someday, all of us. Now, the older you get, maybe it gets, you, know, you get more aware of it, but we're all going to someday pass away. And most religions teach that what you do this side of the grave will determine where you go next side of the grave. Uh, Almost all of them teach something to that nature. What you do here will affect where you go there. Now, different religions, different kind of manifestations of that. Some, you know, there's uh, reincarnation says if you didn't do it right this time, you get another chance. You know, you, you get cycles. But, but really, this is the most common theory around. Now, let's, let's talk about the, the, I don't know, the, the appeal. Well, number one, it does seem fair. I mean, it seems fair. In fact, it's logical because in our world, we see that when we do good things, we get good results. You work hard, uh, you, you know, keep your nose to the grindstone, then you get promotions, if you're in school, if you study hard, you get good grades. The Bible even teaches you reap what you sow. The Quran teaches it. The, the Book of Mormon teaches it. So it's a very common way to think that uh, good people, good things happen to good people. The second thing is this. Um, it's consistent with the idea of a good God. If there's a good God and he lives in a good place then he would have good people. If he didn't have good people there, it's Spartanburg. Uh, So, uh, I know, that's funny. I had so many options. Uh, So many options. (laughs) I thought Tennessee, Arkansas, you know, it was like so many things I could have used. 
But Rob, that was for you. Uh, so I just want you to know. Uh, so this idea that a, a good God in a good place would have good people, it's, it's logical. It's completely logical. The third thing is it's good for society because we want people doing good things. We don't want to be barbarians. And so I've, I've been listening to a couple of books that were set in the Dark Ages, and really the only way law and order was kept was by threats. And the church rarely got robbed, and um, the priests rarely got attacked because there was the fear of the people in, in Middle Age uh, Europe. There was a fear that if we attacked God's chosen, then, then we would spend eternity in hell. And so that, that was just a, a deterrent for, uh, for bad behavior. And so it's good for society. G letting people at least think that good people go to heaven, well, that's good for society. And, and here's probably the most com compelling argument. You probably qualify. I probably qualify. Uh, we, we all are pretty good people. Now, we will all say, we ha all have a disclaimer, well, nobody's perfect, right? Did you know there was a worldwide search for the perfect man and they found him? No, it's not you. Uh, <laughs> Barry's like, I think it's me. No, it's not you. It's Mr. Potato Head. <laughs> he's tan, he's cute, he knows how to accessorize, and if he looks at another woman, you can rearrange his face. Uh, perfect. <laughs> he's perfect. But nobody really is perfect. But now you see the appeal. Okay, well, it's fair. At least it seems fair. And uh, if good people go, then uh, I'm, I'm probably good enough. And so it's almost as if we would say, okay, case closed. This is easy. And if you've ever watched a television show and it seemed too easy, well, this is too easy. And if the sermon's over now, then you get to go home and really eat early, but it's not over just yet. So let's think about it. Is there an argument against good people go? Well, I think there is. So let's look at the rebuttal. If good people go to heaven, if that's the way you get to heaven is through good people, then, or by being good people, then Jesus was wrong. Because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He doesn't really give you the option of good people going. Now, he could be wrong. But you have to admit, if you think good people go to heaven, then you would have to also admit Jesus wasn't right when he said, no one comes to the Father except through me. The second problem with this that I see is, how good is good enough? So when I was in high school or college, at least, I don't remember high school so much, but in college, first day of class, they give you a syllabus. And the syllabus will outline kind of blueprint for you the, the entire semester. And it will say, okay, you're going to have four quizzes and two tests. And here are the dates. And you have to write a nine-page paper. And it's got to be in a certain style, M, M, uh, MLA, MLA style or Chicago or Turabian or whatever. There's a style guide. And, and it used to be that was really tough because you had to do it by hand. Now you just put it in a program. But it would say, okay, and, and the grading scale is 90 to 100 is an A, and 80 to 89 is a B, and 70 to 79 is a C. And there's this grading scale. And you know the standard going in. 
So I could calculate in my mind, okay, I have to do, you know, it would say the tests are weighted. 30% of your grade is the first test and the other test, and 10% are the quizzes. And, and so you can kind of figure out, okay, I, I know quizzes aren't as important. I'm really going to focus on my tests and my paper. And if your paper is 70% of your grade, then you're really going to focus on your paper. And the professor gets to dictate that. Now, if good people go to heaven is correct, then somebody should have given us a syllabus of how good is good enough. In fact, Andy Stanley wrote a book. Andy Stanley is a pastor in Atlanta, or Alpharetta, actually. And he wrote a book called How Good is Good Enough? And it's a great question to ask. How good is good enough? Because different religions teach a different syllabi. So 9-11 taught us, 9-11 when the guys flew planes into uh, buildings to uh, kill the infidels, they were taught, somebody told them, that if you fly a plane into a building, not only do you get paradise, but you get bonus prizes. You get a river of honey, and you get 72 virgins, and you get this, and you get that. And so they were compelled to do this because their syllabus said, this is how you are good enough. Now, I, I wouldn't agree with that. You probably don't agree with that, but that's what they thought. And, and so, how would you feel if you went to a class and the professor said, um, I'm going to grade you on your body of work at the end of the semester? That's all he said. And you're like, okay, well, when are tests? I don't know. How many tests? I don't know. How often are you going to give tests? I don't know. What's the grading scale? I don't know you would be incredibly frustrated, as well you should be, because how can you grade me on my body of work if you won't tell me what the grading scale is? If you won't tell me how to do it? If you won't tell me what the requirements are? It's just not really fair. If we're looking for fairness, this isn't fair. Now you'll say, uh, you'll come to God's defense. Okay, well, uh, he has told us we have this internal moral compass. We know the difference between right and wrong. We know not to lie, cheat, steal, speed. <laughs> well, uh, we know not to lie, cheat, steal. Uh, speeding is gray. You know, it's kind of gray. Uh, in Kentucky, we say uh, uh, it's only illegal if you get caught. Uh, you know, so it's kind of one of those things. So here you've got... The problem with this is I sometimes know what to do, and I don't do it. I kind of know I'm not supposed to speed, and I don't. I'm a preacher. <laughs> but some of y'all. And here's what's even more ironic about that. Sometimes I speed... But when somebody else speeds, I get annoyed. You know, we, we, we have a biblical word for that. It's called hypocrisy. Uh, I want to be able to do it. I just don't want anybody else to be able to do it. And so on my road, uh, the speed limit is 35. I kind of go 35 on my road, but there are other people who really go fast. Man, I, if looks could kill... 
I am a mass murderer because uh, people are driving through that too fast, man. I get the, I get the, um, I get the uh, Gran Torino, you know, uh, get off my lawn, look at these people because they're flying. Like it's, you're, you're endangering people, mainly me. And so our moral compass, okay, well, the problem with the moral compass is it shifts. So during the Spanish Inquisitions, they burned a dude named uh, Giordano Bruno because Bruno taught that all the planets circulated around, circled around the sun, which it does. But the church was teaching that all the planets revolved around the earth. Well, Bruno was right, and he got burned at the stake. The church was wrong. In America, we had the Salem witch trials. There were people who were odd, and uh, there were folks who determined that their oddness was because they were witches, and they burned them at the stake. Today, in today's societies, there are places in the world today where the Taliban is in charge, and they will say that women shouldn't be out in public without a veil on their faces, and if they're caught without a veil on their faces, they can be beaten, and if they date certain people or if they uh, are with certain men that aren't their family, they can be killed. It's called honor killing. That happens in the world today. So whose moral compass are we going to follow? You go, oh, wait, 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 wait. Okay, moral compass, no. But we have the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments, the Big Ten. It's found in Exodus. Yeah, the problem with that, the problem is the Ten Commandments, Exodus, doesn't say anything about, hey, if you keep the law, you get to go to heaven. It doesn't say that at all. In fact, you can look for yourself. Read Exodus. In fact, when you read Exodus, you're going to notice there's more than ten laws. The, the Jews came up with 613 laws. All right, so there are lots of laws. Laws like... I don't know, anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. If we actually did this, there's a lot of us that wouldn't be here, right? I mean, well, I, I love my parents today, but when I was 17, there might have been <laughs> some death coming my way. So, okay, the, the Old Testament, I mean, this is extreme, and there are lots of laws in the Old Testament. If you're going to obey the laws, the Ten Commandments given to Israel because they were, they were people who had been in slavery for hundreds of years, and now they're free, and God gives them a set of laws so they can have an ordered society. This is what it's about. In fact, God knew this couldn't save you, the adherence to the law, and so he established something called the sacrificial system, where you sacrificed animals, usually lambs or sheep, and the blood of the lamb is the thing that covered your sins temporarily. So if you think the Old Testament is the way, then you also must also, also must also, uh, you also must also adhere to the sacrificial system. See, the Ten Commandments were never designed to get you to heaven. They're great. But there are some that are weird. There's a law that says you shouldn't blend cotton and wool or something like that. Well, I mean, I think some of us have probably broken that commandment. 
There, there are commandments that are just odd. There's things about boils, and you know, it's like a lot of stuff, and now I just go to the doctor. You know, I go to CVS, I get an ointment. I don't have to do what they say. You scrape it with a pot, and you throw it in the... It's like, I, I don't have to do that. The law, the law wasn't designed to save us. And if you've ever needed a ladder and you couldn't find a ladder, I know nobody in here would do this, but I've heard of people who will take a chair and put a, a milk crate on it and use that as a ladder. That's not what it's designed for. And if you do it often enough, you'll realize that. That's not what it's there for. The law wasn't given to save us. In fact, God even admits this. That's why he develops or, or in, enacted the sacrificial system. Okay. And the Old Testament hardly talks about eternity anyway. So what's next? Okay, well, okay, okay. So it's not the internal moral compass, and it's not the Old Testament. Then it must be the New Testament, because it talks a lot about heaven. And there is a lot of talk about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven, and there's a lot of stuff about that in the New Testament, except it doesn't help us much either, because there are verses like this. For all have sinned, all fall short of God's glorious standard. No one is good, not even one, for the wages of sin is death. And over and over and over in the New Testament, what you hear is, well, you're not good enough. And then there's this, no one can ever be made right in God's sight by doing his, what his law commands. I don't know that it can be more plain than that. This is a guy named Paul who writes this letter and he says, the law will not save you. Then he goes on, for the more we know God's law, the clearer it becomes that we aren't obeying it. So it's not our internal moral compass. It's not the Old Testament law. It's not the New Testament. Okay, so... That's not good. Something else. Jesus never taught that good people go to heaven. If it were true, and, and if it were the way to go to heaven, then one would think that Jesus would teach it. Now, if he didn't teach it, he either didn't know, or he just chose not to. And again, he lied when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Well, if good people go, then Jesus just flat out didn't tell the truth. Now, in Jesus' time, you have to understand something. Um, the law was given and the sacrificial system was given. And for hundreds of years, that worked for the, for the Jews, for the Israelites. And then their country was overrun and it was occupied, and they could no longer offer animal sacrifices. So the rabbis said, okay, the way to win God's favor is by adherence to the law. And there was a group of people who really took that to heart. They were called Pharisees, and they were meticulous in keeping the law. In fact, if they bought a pound of flour... They would, they would separate it, and they would make sure one-tenth of that pound of flour would go to the synagogue. 
And if they uh, bought sand, uh, sugar or salt or sand or whatever, they would make sure a tenth of it was allocated for the synagogue. They were meticulous. They were fastidious, great word, uh, in keeping the law. They, they were the very best people at keeping the law. And yet Jesus said this about them, you must obey God's commands better than the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. If you don't, I promise you'll never get into the kingdom of heaven. And this would have made the Pharisees mad and it would have made everybody else sad. This would be like me saying to you, unless you treat the poor better than Mother Teresa, you can't get into heaven. And all of us would like, well, who can beat Mother Teresa? She worked with the poorest of the poor in Calcutta. I mean, she gave up everything to work with the poor. That, that's what it would feel like. That would be like me saying, unless your spirituality exceeds the monks who only pray and fast and read Scripture every day, then you will not get to heaven. And you're saying to yourself, oh my word, I have no chance. And this is Jesus saying, boys, girls. See, the Pharisees, being good wasn't a hobby. It was their life. They... They drilled down. They made sure. They added rules. There were rules, and they added rules to rules. There were rules about not working on the Sabbath, and they wanted clarification, so they figured out, at least in their mind, what it meant to not work on the Sabbath. And they had these crazy extra rules. They said you couldn't spit on the Sabbath, because if you did, the ground might be stirred up, and it might uh, germinate a plant, and you then would be guilty of growing something. Women couldn't look in a mirror on a, on a Sabbath because they might be tempted to, they might see a gray hair and be tempted to pluck it. Even back then, uh, that was the rule. They, they, they had rules upon rules upon rules. And it was just, it was overwhelming. And then Jesus said stuff like this. You have heard that it was said. What Jesus is saying there is, there's a law and the law says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. By the way, time out. That was brilliant. It was brilliant. The Ten Commandments are brilliant. These laws are really smart. Because in my human nature, if somebody pokes out my eye, my initial reaction would be, well, if you poke out one of my eyes, I'm going to poke out both of your eyes. I'm going to do more to you than you did to me. The law said no. You can do the same, but you can't do more. It, it really it, uh, it enhanced social order, frankly. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. You can't do more, but you can have revenge. And Jesus says, okay, that's the law in the Old Testament, but I tell you, and Jesus places himself in authority even over the law. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other cheek also. And most of us really aren't good at this. And then Jesus said, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. 
Give to the one who asks you. Do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. And we're not really very good at that either. And so Jesus was basically saying, okay, it's not just the law, but if you're going to really be good enough to win God's favor, you have to do more than the law. And I don't know if I need to convince you anymore, but we're probably not going to make it. We thought we were pretty good people. Read the Sermon on the Mount and you're going to go, hmm. I've been in classes where I read the syllabus and I think, I need to transfer out of this class. You know, I mean, it's like, oh, there's 17 papers and I have to, you know, do this and I have to read Shakespeare. I'm not reading that. And, and so we look at the class syllabus and Jesus, this is like the syllabus. Hey, you got to do all of this. It's like, oh, I don't think so. And we're kind of left in a pickle. Here's something else. Jesus even taught bad people can go to heaven. Not only did he not teach good people automatically go to heaven, Jesus taught bad people can go to heaven. It's actually why he got executed. He was stealing everybody's thunder. Because they were like, hey, you got to be good. It's like, Jesus, I don't know. Jesus is on the cross, and there are two thieves beside him, the Bible says. And one of them mocks him, and the other one, you know, if I'm on the cross, I'm probably doing some self-reflection, right? I'm, I'm thinking about my life. If I were sitting in a cell waiting to be executed, I would be thinking about my life. I would be reflective, wouldn't you? I'd be thinking to myself, okay, where did I go wrong, you know? Whose fault is this, you know, that kind of thing. I'd be thinking about, okay, I'd really like maybe to make amends, so one of the thieves on the cross, he's like mocking Jesus, and the other one, <laughs> I love it, he basically says, shut up. And then to Jesus, he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. This is a guy who's being executed for being a thief. Maybe he's more than a thief, but he's at least a thief. And he did something egregious enough that he was sentenced to capital punishment. So his body of good works is probably pretty minor. If he had a good works resume, it would be pretty small. He's being crucified on a cross. And there's Jesus who was condemned falsely, and he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And if good people go, then Jesus would have to say, dude, tough, tough. It's not what Jesus said. He said, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. And I've been thinking about this. If I'm the guy who this dude stole from, I came out for the crucifixion, brought my popcorn and my pop, and I'm gonna, you know, uh, I'm gonna enjoy this guy getting killed because he has um, maybe he has decimated my family's fortune or something. He's done something really bad to my family, and I'm watching from the foot of the cross. And this guy says to Jesus, "Remember me when you come into paradise." And Jesus said, "Today you'll be with me in paradise." I am livid because that's not fair. It's just not fair. I tell you, today you'll be with me 
in paradise. It changes everything. It's no wonder that Jesus was crucified. He didn't let good people go and I am the way and the truth and the life. He didn't let those mix. He's constantly telling people, those don't mix. They, they don't go together. There's nothing compatible about those. Good people go means I earn it. No one comes to the Father except through me means I'm given it. And those things aren't the same. That's why he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The good people go theory, well, on the surface, it seems fair. But how fair is it if you're graded by a syllabus that you don't even know what it is? And it can't be our internal moral compass because ours is different from people in the other parts of the world. And it can't be the Old Testament because the Old Testament never says it is the, uh, the rule. And the New Testament doesn't say what the syllabus is. And Jesus even taught that bad people can go to heaven. Well, the answer is forgiven people go to heaven. Good forgiven people go to heaven. Bad forgiven people go to heaven. That's how it works. Let me read this verse, Romans 8, 3. We aren't saved from God's, uh, I'm sorry, we aren't saved from sin's grasp by knowing the commandments of God because we can't and don't keep them. But God put into effect a different plan to save us. He sent his own son in a human body like ours, except that ours are sinful. And he destroyed sin's control over us by giving himself as a sacrifice for our sins. Good people can go to heaven. Bad people can go to heaven if they ask for forgiveness. Now, the argument then is, well, that's not fair. Does something have to be fair for it to be right? Some people contract cancer and others don't. It's true. It's not fair. Some people uh, who are bad have good results. Not fair, but it's true. At church potlucks, most people think they ought to put cheese in every dish. But there are God-honoring, really angelic-type people who don't like cheese. We endure it. It's not fair, but it's true. Most of the time, we really don't want fair. I've had, I have four daughters. I have never had one of my kids say to me, no fair, I got more ice cream than my sister. Never said it one time. I've never had one of my daughters say, no fair, I get to stay up later than my sister's. I've never been pulled over by a police officer who said, I'm going to just give you a warning this time, not a ticket. I've never said to him, no fair, I deserve a ticket. Because that would be stupid. We really kind of don't want fair, honestly. What we want, look, if we got what we deserved, we don't deserve heaven. We just don't. We don't really want fair. Fair. 
What we really want is mercy. We want mercy. I have a nephew, his name is Alan. When he was four years old, he was helping his dad wash his car. And Joey, Joey's my brother-in-law, was washing the car, and, and Alan, he, he was out there in his little diaper, and he was, uh, oh, he, at four he wouldn't have a diaper, I, I don't know. Uh, or maybe he did, I don't know. Uh, he's not that quick. He's, uh, maybe, I don't know. Uh, Alan's going to watch this. Sorry, buddy. Uh, dude, uh, it wasn't a diaper. I'm sure it was a suit. Uh, so he was out there, and he's helping his dad washing, uh, wash the car. And Joey has a sponge, and he suds it on one side, and Alan's on the other side of the car, and he... He had a sponge in his bucket, but he found something he liked better to wash the car with. A brick. <laughs> now, I don't know how, uh, how uh, knowledgeable you are about uh, automobile paint and bricks. It's a bad combination. So he basically rubbed the paint off one side of the car. Four years old. Joey comes around the car, he sees him washing the car with a brick. And it's that moment when you as a parent have to make a decision. Now, Joey could have said, Alan, you're going to pay for that. How's a four-year-old paying for that? He could have said that. He could have demanded payment. You're going you're to rent me a car while this car's in the shop, and you're going to pay for that? What good would that have done? Because there are times when you owe more than you can pay. And he bent down, and he took the brick, and he said, Alan, we wash with sponges, not bricks. Don't wash with a brick. And Alan said, yes, sir, Daddy. And he went back to washing with his sponge. The truth of the matter is, pride is our problem. I'd like to think I'm good enough for God to accept. I don't know that I want to admit I need help getting to heaven. I'd like to think I can earn it, but honestly, I can't earn it. I owe more than I'll. Ever be able to pay? Because if we were real honest today, most of us in this room have washed the car with a brick a time or two. Fortunately for us, our Father has said to us, Look, somebody's got to pay, but it doesn't have to be you. Forgiven people go to heaven. Good forgiven people, bad forgiven people. Only forgiven people. It's called mercy. I hope in your life sometime you've said to God, Father, I can't pay this debt. 
and I can't earn it. But I accept your forgiveness and I ask Jesus to forgive me and come into my heart. Forgiven people, only forgiven people go to heaven. I did it when I was seven years old. I didn't know everything, but I knew enough. You (laughs) might be well beyond seven. You don't have to know everything. Just have to ask and receive. Father, thank you for the gift that is Jesus and salvation. We're thankful that we don't have to earn it. Thank you, Lord, that you love us so much that you sent your Son for us. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.